This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Saturday, actually, November the 19th, 2022. Thanks for joining with us. If you don't have your Bible, I encourage you to get it, perhaps print out or pull up the notes that I have on the chapter website, on on our church website. Today, we are completing the second part, right, the second section of our journey through the book of Colossians, and at the same time, completing Colossians chapter 1. And we have spent 11 weeks on our journey thus far, and what we've seen is that Paul has had a lot to say. And to kick us off today, I just want to remind us, I do this from time to time, remind us why we care, right? Why are we taking the time to look so, to look as closely as we are at what Paul has had to say? You know, I'll joke about it from time to time here at the church about how long sometimes it takes me to move us through, um, you know, a, a book, a passage of scripture. But friends, there's a reason for it. Now, I know, I know almost probably all of you know this and, and would agree with me in this, but the scripture is rich and it takes time to really grasp and consider what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul. Now, that said, of course, it's totally possible for us to overthink scripture. But it is also important that, we, important that we not be in a rush because we want to hear and we want to wrestle with, we want to understand what Paul meant to the original audience, right, the Colossians, so that with that foundation, we can truly listen for the Holy Spirit to take this truth and then bring it to life in the midst of our own stories. You see, it's easy to say, you know, I believe God's word, I stand on God's word, but only really mean that we're looking at the scripture that we, lead, that we need or we really want to validate and back up our own traditions, our tendencies, and our predispositions. But it's another thing to truly be a spirit-led student of scripture, taking the time to thoughtfully consider the larger message of these ancient texts that we confess to be God's word, and then have hearts and minds that are open to be challenged, to learn, to be encouraged, and to be strengthened. So, as we prepare to close out chapter one here, I want to take a step back real fast to the amazing promise that we saw last week. And this is the miracle that God has chosen to reveal to us, believers, the church, and then through us to reveal to the world the glorious riches of the fullness of God's word, which is that Christ is in you. And this is the hope of glory. Friends, in Christ, right where we ended last week, in Christ, we are the image bearers. We are the expressors of the goodness, the hope, and the glory of God. And now Paul says, this being the case, because this is true, here is what we do. So we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and I'm actually reading here from the NASB. And Paul concludes this big thought by saying, So we proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Okay, friends, looking at how we ended last week and now how Paul begins this thought, what we see is this great New Testament truth that as, as disciples of Jesus, right, we are in Christ. 
Christ is in us, and Jesus is what we have to say. Right there, the beginning of verse 28, Paul says, He is the one we proclaim. You know, looking back into the letter, we can see Paul saying, This Christ, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, who is the fullness of God, this Jesus, whose very life flows within all his people, all who have believed, this Jesus is the one whom we proclaim. Jesus is both the sum and the substance of our message. You know, a few weeks ago, we made the point that anything anyone may teach about the meaning, the goal of Scripture, right, about the nature, the work, and the purposes of God, if it isn't consistent with the teaching and the nature and the character of Christ, principally as we see him on the cross, we've got something wrong. Jesus is what God has to say, and Jesus is what we have to say. You know, when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he reminded them of his overriding focus behind everything he said. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, For I, when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, in Christian culture, in, in so, so many churches, there are many things that we proclaim. Right? A, lot of, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches like to talk about current affairs, um, politics, issues around us. Uh, many churches may, may talk about the need to be involved, to work, to care for people, to alleviate suffering. You, know, you might call this, in a highly simplistic sense, kind of the social gospel. And actually, things that Christ in us will lead us to do. Right? Many, many parts of Christian culture may talk about biblical themes, such as the end times, right? foundational stories from the Old Testament. We may wrestle with moral, social, and ethical issues. And all of these can be important, right? some more important than others, I would add. But as disciples of Jesus, our central and most consistent message is Christ, that Jesus is our Lord. He is the one who brings hope. He is the one who brings redemption and restoration. And he is the one who brings freedom from the bondage of sin. He is the one who brings life. So when we say Christ is who we proclaim, we mean, kind of twofold, we're referring, of course, to the good news of the gospel of salvation, right? the message that God will use to open hearts to faith. But we also mean the ongoing teaching that Scripture imparts to those who do believe, to those who do trust in Christ. And this is key. For when we first come to Jesus, we have not yet learned all there is to know about Christ. You know, entering into faith is the beginning, and our exploration of the wisdom of Christ will take a lifetime. You know, Paul said this, said this himself several times. He said, I'm still learning. In 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 10, part of the, just the amazingly beautiful passage of 1 Corinthians 13, but here Paul says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, or when maturity comes, what is in part disappears. And you can hear Paul reflecting on his own life, right? the incredible revelation God gave to him in all of his experience of trusting God and yet still thinking, I still only know in part. I'm still learning. And friends, we will always be learning and growing and at the center and source of our learning is Jesus. And now Paul goes on and he takes the next step. He says, Christ is who we proclaim, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom. Now there's two key concepts here. 
important both to the role of spiritual leaders and important in the role we all play in each other's lives. And these are the roles of admonishing and teaching. So admonishing, this word also is translated in many, in many renderings, warning. But this is a strong word, and it implies that there are times when our thinking, as Christians, mind you, needs to be corrected, even rebuked. Now, this can make us a little uncomfortable, but Paul's intent is incredibly practical and redemptive. You know, last week I shared how bad theology, right, how unhealthy thinking as believers, unhealthy spiritual thinking, unhealthy thinking about God can be incredibly destructive. Right? There are times, speaking to believers again, that our thinking needs to be challenged. And this should be done humbly, thoughtfully, in love, right? We see all those themes in Scripture, but it is an essential part of a healthy Christ-centered community. You know, N.T. Wright said it this way. He said, the I, this is the idea of setting someone's mind into proper order with the implication that, had, that it has been in some way out of joint. At times, positive teaching may not be enough. There is no telling what muddles Christian minds will get into from time to time. And man, he is right. And in the case of the Colossian believers, the muddled thinking that Paul was warning against was the idea that Jesus wasn't enough. That we have to add all this extra stuff on top of the simplicity of faith in Christ. But this can address many issues within the church and within our own lives as well. But guys, here's the humble part of this. There may be times when we feel compelled right, to straighten out another person's thinking. And at the end of a healthy and spirit-led conversation, it may turn out that we were the ones who needed to be straightened out. This can be hard, right? It, is, it, can, it can be humiliating. It brings humility. But it's also so powerfully redemptive. You know, this is the environment of the church that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm reading here from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Listen to what Paul says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What an incredible statement. And he goes on, he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's right. Inherent to that statement is that we correct each other. That is one of the roles that we have as, as maturing and mature Christians. It goes on, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Right? We rebuke and we teach. Right? This is essential to being the healthy body of Christ. Now, another key observation here. Listen to this again for the recurring word as I read verse 28. It says, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Well, the word, words actually, is every person, everyone. It's a very strong emphasis here. 
And friends, we need to make sure we understand that everyone in this context, Paul speaking to the church, that everyone means everyone. Here's where I'm going with this. I want you to think of a well-known Christian teacher or leader, maybe somebody you really, you really, really like and you know respect yourself. And about such a person, you may hear someone say, or you may say, man, what a man or woman of God. You know, I could never have that level of understanding. I could never have that level of spirituality or closeness to God. And friends, if Paul were to hear us say something like that, I think he may grab us by the shoulders and say, no, that's not right. The wisdom of Jesus is for everyone. It is for every believer. In Christ, there are no spiritual elites. The theologian F.F. Bruce put it this way. He said, there is no part of Christian teaching or God's revelation that is reserved for the spiritual elite. All the truth of God is for all the people of God. Let me give you a specific example. You know, there's a movement in some segments of Christian culture that's actually been around a long time, but it has really picked up steam in the past several years. You know, one name that is used to refer to it is the New Prophetic Movement. And it's the idea that God is giving new prophetic revelations to different spiritually elite people. Friends, the internet is full of teachers like this, and they should be handled with great discernment, and I would also frankly say great skepticism. Much of the content of these prophecies, air quotes, um, that, that you see today, they're either political or related to you know, prophecy of how the end times are immediately upon us, and often those two things are intertwined. Guys, my encouragement is if you ever hear anyone say, you come across something like this, somebody forwards you an email and says, oh, listen, you have got to listen to this. Friends, if you ever hear anyone say something like, God has revealed to me something he hasn't shown to anyone else, big red flags should come up. For Paul declares that in Christ, there is no level of spiritual maturity that isn't within the reach of any believer as we live by the Spirit in dependence upon God's grace. Now, that said, it is also important to hear this. For, every, for, for even the most mature believer, it is possible not only to be wrong, but to be sincerely wrong. And friends, this is why we need to always have hearts and minds to learn, even to be admonished. And God's truth and this call into the fullness of spiritual maturity it is for everyone. It is for everyone. And this leads to the next observation on this point. As Paul says, um, this is the second half of verse 28. So we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom. With all wisdom. All right, let's talk about this because this is a point. Friends, as believers, what is our source of wisdom? Our source of wisdom ultimately is Christ. In Christ, his life, his teaching, his nature and character, and most importantly, in his sacrifice and resurrection, in all of who Jesus is, we see the greatest and authoritative revelation of God's wisdom. Now, let's say we're facing a life decision and we are seeking God's wisdom. We may look at many scriptural stories, references. That, that's good. But for the disciples of Jesus, the, the great question, the most important consideration is what does the nature of Christ within me bring to bear upon this situation? 
Now, answering that might be a study. It may involve in-depth conversations with other trusted believers. It certainly will involve prayer and a mind open to the Spirit's leadership. You know, a wonderful source of wisdom in Scripture is Proverbs. Uh, you talk about a great study, go to Proverbs. You know, use your computer Bible or if you have a really, really good concordance to pull up all the verses in Proverbs that contain the words wisdom or wise. And you're going to find that there's well over 100. I think in the NIV it's 111. You know, and one of my favorite of all of these is Proverbs 4, verse 7. And it says this, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> Though it costs all you have, get understanding. And friends, what's so amazing if you do that study in Proverbs is that all of the wisdom of Proverbs is like a giant beacon pointing forward to God's gift of wisdom in Christ. For the beginning of wisdom is this. Get Jesus. Know and trust Christ. And this wisdom that has come to us, that we may grow in this understanding, and this can be true not because it cost all we had, but because of the cost that Christ bore on the cross. In 1 Corinthians, Paul put it this way. Chapter 1, verses 22 through 24, and then verse 30. Again, of 1 Corinthians. Listen to what Paul says. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, right, human wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. And now Paul says, right, we are admonishing and teaching every believer with a goal in mind. And it's so that we may present every person, this is from the NIV now, that we may present every person fully mature in Christ. Friends, that's quite a statement. I mean, consider it for a moment. This is saying, Paul is saying here that God's goal for you, for me, for every believer, is that we would become complete, fully mature in Jesus. So what does that mean? I mean, Paul's going to occupy much of the rest of this letter answering that question, but for now, just a couple of thoughts. Friends, when it comes down to it, the great measure of our spiritual maturity in Christ is that our lives will express and how we think, feel, and act the love, the nature, and the character of Jesus. All right, spiritual maturity means that we look like Jesus. And the source by which this is possible, by which we live in such a way that expresses the love, the nature, and the character of Christ, is our own faith, trust, love, and dependence upon Christ. You know, another way of saying this is that increasingly, in all of who we are, we will be led by the Spirit of Christ within us. And the evidence of the Spirit within us is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if I'm to ask, well, what does love look like? The answer is, it looks like Jesus. It looks like what Paul described in 1 Corinthians. That we are patient, kind, that we don't envy, we aren't proud. We never dishonor or devalue another person. We aren't self-seeking. We aren't easily angered. We don't hold grudges. 
We never delight when something bad happens to another person, but we love truth, integrity, and honesty. And our hearts towards others is always to trust, to protect, to hope, and to persevere. My friends, that is spiritual maturity, to be like Jesus. Because Jesus lives in us, and increasingly, his nature will be the expression of our nature. You know, in Philippians, Paul says it like this. This should be, by the way, a familiar passage, but listen again to the emphasis. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 15. And Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider that all garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, right? Not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Right, Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right, guys, listen. And after making that amazing statement, that description of faith, he ends this, this passage by saying, all of us then, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Friends, if we ask, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? The answer is Jesus and a great expression, a great description of what that looks like. And Paul's desire for this in his life is what I just read there in Philippians chapter 3. Incredible. Anyway, one other thought here. Friends, spiritual maturity, this is so important. Spiritual maturity, it's a journey. Right? There's no shortcut to spiritual maturity, and it never happens by accident. You know, I love that Paul says here again, I'm not there yet. This is my goal, but it's a journey. It's a marathon race that I will run until Christ returns or I go to him. And friends, this is a journey of one day at a time, learning to have open hearts to God, to be surrendered to God, hearts that desire to learn, hearts that are okay with being challenged, even admonished, hearts that love God and understand that the greatest expression of our love of God is how we love God's creation, chiefly how we love people. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul describes how this place of full maturity won't be fully recognized, especially by the church as a whole, until the return of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says, Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Okay, Bring us to maturity. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless 
at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In that phrase, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's a clear reference to the second coming, to the return of Christ, right? The, the, when Jesus returns and brings all things to a close as we understand it, ushering in the fullness of eternity. And friends, this is encouraging. You know, in our experience of how we live, we are not perfect, not by a long shot. We have no place for moral and spiritual pride. But at the same time, Christ is leading us toward perfection. You know, from another vantage point in our spirit and who we truly are, our truest identity, we possess the righteousness of Christ. This is who we are. And Christ is continually calling us by his spirit within us for his righteousness to be, to be the authentic expression of how we live. You know, I've said this many times over the years, but this is the journey in Christ of becoming who we already are, to be like Jesus, for that spiritual maturity. And now Paul says something that if we really consider it, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Friends, if spiritual maturity is the journey of becoming like Jesus in all of who we are, and it is, then this is possible. In fact, it's only possible because Jesus isn't just our goal, he is our source. Verse 29, Paul says, For this purpose, right, to bring all of us to maturity, for this purpose I also labor, striving according to Christ's power, which works mightily within me. Let, let me just read that again. Paul says, listen, I am laboring. To this purpose I labor, and I'm striving according to Christ's power, which works mightily within me. Okay, friends, this is evocative language. The word labor here gives the image of working hard, striving with everything we have. You know, Paul often will use the image of an athlete straining towards a goal with every ounce of energy. So here's the question. Friends, if you go run a race, what do you like when you finish that race? In fact, if you're like me, what do you like just a little ways into the race? I'll tell you what, you're, you're exhausted. And this is where Paul's metaphor of the athlete takes a supernatural turn. Because at the same time as he is striving, running the race, laboring, the energy, the motivation, the inspiration and power behind his perspiration is nothing less than the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says it this way, But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than anybody. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Now you could just paraphrase that a little bit by Paul saying, listen, I worked harder than anybody, and yet it wasn't me. It was the enabling presence and power of God, the grace of God that was within me. Friends, we need to make sure that we're not missing the strength of this language. Now, Paul here isn't just describing his ministry as something that he principally does with God's help. No, the image here, and many, many other New Testament passages actually, is that God is the principal actor, and God is acting and working through us as we live in obedience and dependence upon him. Now, that said, my friends, honestly, in response to that statement, Right, what I just said there, I sometimes want to cry out. I do cry out, God, 
What does that even mean? I mean, to quote Eugene Peterson, right, the wonderful American pastor who did the paraphrase, the message. When he was, I read this in his, in his biography, when he was leading his church through the book of Acts, at one point in, in, in his career as a pastor, um, he said this, he said, in Acts it is clear that ultimately everything was up to God, but at times trying to be a leader in this thing called the church seems like everything is up to me and I am exhausted. And my friends, as you well know, you don't have to be a pastor to feel that way. This is life, and we all experience it, right? It's a sincere believers looking to God, looking for leadership, desiring God's presence and power. We find ourselves being worn out, right? Taken out by life. We all experience it. So what does it mean? What does it look like for us to fully engage life as a disciple of Jesus while all the while doing so out of the energy, the direction, right, the indwelling life of Jesus. Now, friends, that is a whole other set of sermons and discussions. But I want to give just one thought as we draw to a close. Friends, there are times when God works in us simply by providing the grace we need just for the situation we are in. And you may find yourself, let's say you find yourself in a place of crisis, your heart and mind are saying to you, I have no idea how to resolve this situation. But Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you. I, I trust that you hold a picture I can't see. And whatever light and grace that I may have, without trying to predetermine what I think the outcome should be, Jesus, I'm trusting you with that. I'm taking the next step holding on to you, looking to you, I'm taking the next step. And after that, I'm taking the next step. Because you see, my friends, this is the choice of faith to believe, even when everything around us seems to be saying otherwise, that ultimately the resolution of our situation is not up to us. Hear me, because this is so important. Friends, in life, be it ministry, parenting, friendships, what have you, the goodness of Christ within us will inspire us to work hard, to be fully engaged, to be informed, to be honest with ourselves, to persevere, to be creative, to work hard with courage and humility, and the discernment to do so without being unhealthy. And at the same time, all the while, by faith, holding on to the humbling but liberating truth that we are not in control. We have influence, but we don't have control. You see, Paul didn't make excuses for passivity by just saying, you know what, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do, God will make it happen. Right? He doesn't do that. But he also doesn't imagine that, that everything was dependent upon him and in the process, burn himself out with restless, anxious, nonstop activity that ultimately does little more than, well, again, just to wear us out. And so, because of his trust in God, Paul could work hard without the stressful motivation of pride or fear. Let me say that again. Friends, because of his trust in God, Paul could work hard, he could fully engage but to do so without the stressful motivation of pride or fear and without the bondage of thinking 
that we control the outcome. In church, this is deep water faith. But by God's grace, we actually can learn to let go of our performance-based approach to life. We can learn to be people of influence while releasing our desire for control and trusting God with what happens next. And my friends, by God's grace, we will be people who proclaim Christ. We will be people who desire the wisdom of Christ, who are eager to learn, even to be rebuked and challenged when that is needed, so that we may continually grow in our journey of becoming fully mature in Christ. For this is the fullness of God's word, the glorious riches of God's mystery now made known, which is that Christ is in you, and this is the hope of glory. Friends, thank you so much for staying with me through today's message and all of our messages up through here. I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to take a break now from Colossians through the end of the year, and we'll start back with chapter 2, probably around the middle of January. So I pray you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I will see you again soon. Love you so much.